How's everybody? <clears throat> we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna pray, and then I want to draw your attention to the video clip. Um, I like to push the envelope, so that's why people come. That's why people leave. Um, so we're gonna show you a video clip that'll kind of meld into my message <laughs> today. But let's stand up and pray before we do that, <clears throat> so everybody knows we're saved. Now, here's my caveat. I do things sort of spontaneously, and I love this movie, um, but it is PG-13, so I haven't pre-watched the clip, is my point, because I just got hit with inspiration, and the media team is very adaptable. So, hopefully, the language is church churchified enough that nobody gets upset, but uh, try not to get offended. And miss the point when we watch the video clip, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for every person that's here in this room. Thank you for every angelic spirit that came in. Thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, I pray today that you'll shine down your love, your light, your truth, your life, and your power upon each and every one of us, that you will strengthen us, that you will empower us, and that you will bless us. Bless our time. Bless the message. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's watch this clip. I I love that scene. I think there's a lot of truth in it. I don't know how well you could hear. I don't know how well the audio was. But let's use some scripture. And then we'll jump into some stuff. Let's look at Hebrews 11. At one part in there, when he's traveling... She says to him, what mysteries lie beyond the reach of your senses? And then says at the root of existence, mind and matter join and thoughts create reality. Let's see if the Bible says anything about that. (laughs) So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. One of the most butchered verses from the Greek, from the original languages in the whole of the Bible, in my opinion. We'll come back to that. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, <clears throat> we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. <clears throat> the word for universe there is plural in the Greek. The King James I think the King James translates it a little better. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds, plural, were framed by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made of what was visible. Now, if you'll let me do a little bit of Bible exegesis that took a lot of digging and studying and validating and years for me to get a hold of. So I'm going to try to give you in five minutes what took literally took me years to understand just digging in this verse. We translate it in our Bibles, in the English, confidence. Now, faith is confidence of what we hope for. And it gives you the impression that faith is trying to believe really hard that something's going to happen. (laughs) Because that's what it says. In the original language, it's a Greek word, hypostasis. The King James translates it substance. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance 
comes from the Latin translation of the Greek, substantia. And the word hypostasis never meant, never did it mean confidence or assurance or even really anything to do with what you think or believe. <clears throat> what hypostasis, if you look it up in most of your modern uh, commentaries, it's going to say the substance or that which stands behind something or the foundation of something. But what's really interesting about this is that Martin Luther, in his journals, he changed the meaning of the word hypostasis from what it originally meant to fit his teaching on justification by faith and changed it to confidence, the word confidence or assurance or whatever, and admitted that he knew he was doing violence to the text. But he had come under so much pressure from those he was influencing to make his doctrine fit Scripture or make Scripture fit his doctrine that he went ahead and went along with the change. And so all of our Bibles that have come down to us in the Western Protestant evangelical tradition reflect the thinking of Martin Luther, but it's a deviation from the original. So then it begs the question, what was hypostasis? <clears throat> To understand hypostasis, you're going to have to understand an ancient worldview, which is why I showed you the video, to kind of help you enter into that world a little bit. Because hypostasis was an alchemy term. Anybody know what alchemy is? What is it? Somebody? Turning lead into gold. That's what most people think when they hear the term Alchemy. The alchemists were, and, and there's truth to it, they were, the, they were the early chemists. So what we have today is modern day chemistry finds its roots in alchemy. But they were trying to, um, we would call it magic today. They were trying to transform base substances into gold. They were trying to uh, transmute would be the word. Take lead, a common cheap substance, and through a process, transmute it into gold. Now, what's interesting about alchemy is there are a lot of stories, especially from the Middle Ages, that they were successful. What's even more interesting is that a lot of the alchemists from the Middle Ages were also Christians. But most people don't know that. So, hypostasis. now you've got to understand that ancient people thought in terms of the four elements. What are the four elements? Fire, wind, earth, and water. And so basically, it's true, basically everything in the physical universe consists of a combination of those four substances. So, what an alchemist was attempting to do was they would try to break apart the elements of the lead, but they understood in order to change the nature of something... They had to find a fifth element or a quintessence or a substantia or what the Greeks called hypostasis that was the invisible energy behind the matter. And if they could access that invisible energy, what was believed was that they could then work with the lead and work with the quintessence, work with the hypostasis in order to change lead into gold. Does that make sense to you? 
<clears throat> so the hypostasis or the substance is that fifth element that is invisible that the alchemists were seeking that in modern lore has kind of come down to us as the philosopher's stone. Are you, are you breathing? Okay. <laughs> so faith is the ability to access that fifth element in order to do alchemical processes to transform reality. It's literally what it's saying. Which is why verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command, by God's command, so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. So the entire search for the alchemist is how to find that invisible element in order to work with it, in order to bring transformation. And here's what they discovered. You want to know what they discovered? They discovered that the quintessence does exist and that the quintessence, that fifth element, is actually consciousness. So in the movie Doctor Strange, what you're seeing is a representation of ancient alchemical processes where it was taught and believed that at the root of that there is a dimension of reality where consciousness and matter are one and where thoughts create reality. And if the alchemist could get access to that place, then the alchemist could use his thoughts. <laughs> so it wasn't just a chemical process. It was a chemical process that involved the consciousness and intention of the alchemist that changed lead into gold. But here's what they found out. Before you could change lead into gold out here, something had to go on inside where lead was turned into gold on the inside. That the task of the alchemist, if he was going to be effective at doing anything, he had to master himself or her, well, probably not too many ladies were into it, but who knows, himself or herself first, just because it was ancient cultures, right? Are you breathing? Or had to figure out how to turn the base things inside their life, the lead, if you will, inside their life into something precious. So that God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 15, if you separate the precious from the vile, <laughs> you shall be as my mouth. And really what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that faith connects you to that realm and that dimension. But here's the thing. You have to use faith on yourself first. Before you can use it out here. Jesus said it this way. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Watch this. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will come to pass. He'll have whatever he says. So really what he's saying is the issue is never the mountain. The issue is never out here. The issue is that tiny little bit of doubt that's in here. So if you can transmute your doubt into faith, all things will be possible for you. So that for a believer, really Christians are alchemists. (laughs) 
work with the divine substance out of which you yourself are made first. In order to fan into flame, if you will, the divine spark within you. In order to transmute the base substances of your life, the lead, into gold, so that the light of divinity can shine through you less encumbered. And once the light of divinity shines through you, you come to the place of the mind of Christ, where thought and matter at the root of all reality are one, and you can begin to create reality with your thoughts. That's Christian teaching. It's not modern evangelical teaching. But it's still in the Bible. And it's still, if you trace and understand the nature of Christianity from its beginnings, that's what was going on. I wish you could all see your faces right now. Now watch this. Come with me, with that in mind, come with me to two other places in the Gospels and then we'll hopefully make it practical for you, alright? Not just theoretical, but practical. Mark chapter 4, parable of the sower. Jesus says this in verse 10. After he tells the parable of the sower, in verse 10 he says, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him, not just the twelve, but the twelve and the others around him, asked him, about the parables, and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But those outside, those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Then he, he, he retells the parable, and then in verse 21, he's not changing subjects, even though our Bible leads us to believe that. He says to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it in a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? He's talking about the secret of the kingdom. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. He's not talking about your hidden sin. He's talking about the secrets, the mysteries that lie outside your five senses. What's hidden? What's not seen? Got it? Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now watch this. Consider carefully what you hear. Why? Because with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you and even more. Everybody say, and even more with me. And whoever has will be given more. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. I would like to suggest to you that we are both. We are those that have and get more. And we are those that don't have so that things are taken away. I'll explain that in a minute. Now come with me finally to Luke 9. And I'll just read it. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. (laughs) Uh, There's something yummy in there. I'm going to come back to in a minute. He said to another man, follow me. And he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one puts a hand, having put a hand to the plow, looks back as fit for service in the kingdom of God. I'll, I'll just quit right there. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Understand that in Hebraic concepts, 
all the way back to 500 B.C. and definitely in the time of Christ, the way the Hebrews read the Bible was they, 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 they would say the literal interpretation of the Bible is the most childish level of interpretation. They, they don't discount it, but they don't hang their hat on it. And there were layers of interpretation that went beneath that, that were metaphors, that were symbolic. And one layer of meditation that was, or one layer beneath the, the, the gospel that is called in the Hebrew, sowed. Everybody say with me, sowed. Sowed simply means the secret level. The level that has to be revealed or disclosed. That which is not literal, but is buried inside the text. So we're going to do a little sowed preaching this morning, okay? Is that all right? All right, so watch this. So, you and I have come forth from God, yes? yes? We have come forth from God. Therefore, the spark of the divine is in us. Christ in you, Paul said, is the hope of glory, correct? Right? Uh, John said it this way, Christ is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And He is the light who gives light to everyone coming into the world. James said it this way, uh, that you bless God, but you curse man who is made in his image. Paul said it this way to the Greeks. He said, we are all his offspring, speaking of God, we are all God's offspring, and in him we live and move and have our being. So to be a human being is to be a spark of the divine. You have a divine nature. You have a divine nature, a divine spark, that which comes from the mind and the heart of God on the inside of you. And because it comes from the mind and the heart of God, it is connected to the root of reality where thought and matter merges and where thoughts create reality. So therefore, Jesus says, when you begin to move into the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, take heed what you hear. Because with the measure that you extend, that is the measure that will be brought back to you and even more. So here's how this works. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're believing, whatever pattern of thought, your beliefs, let's say it this way, your beliefs, my beliefs are patterns of energy that we measure out throughout our life, that life then feeds back to us. So that we can see what we're getting based on what we believe. So we end up getting more of the same. Classic example, woman stuck in an abusive relationship. The guy's no good for her. The guy is abusive to her. She gets out of that relationship, but she keeps going back. Or she gets out of that relationship and gets into a room full of people. And there's maybe one or two abusers in in a room full of men. And somehow she manages to gravitate towards the abuser. And the abuser manages to gravitate towards her. So that even though the faces change and the men change, the, the feedback loop stays the same. Because with the measure she measures out, it's being measured back to her and even more. Are you breathing? So... People come to Jesus and want to follow him. And he says, birds of the air have nests and foxes have dens. But the son of man, everybody say son of man. The son of man has no place to lay his head, right? And we, the church, has used that to pick your pocket. 
The church has used that to say, look, Jesus was poor. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to forsake all and whatever. And they use that to teach poverty, which is actually a Roman Catholic belief that they themselves do not practice because, hey, I've been to the Vatican. I'm just saying. Anybody that's been to the Vatican... And if you know your history, the reason priests could not marry and the reason priests could not uh, were instructed to take a vow of poverty, they put all kinds of holiness veneer on it, but it was basically to enhance the wealth of the Catholic Church so they didn't have to worry about inheritances to the priest's kids or taking care of the priest's wives. So it was so that the money that was coming into the church could go up the stream instead of being used to meet the needs of the priests who thought they were being holy by taking a vow of poverty and celibacy. But anyway, that's a dirty little secret we don't like to tell. But It's true. Watch this. Everything is held, everything in existence. What, what did Einstein say? Einstein's theory of relativity is what? E equals MC squared. Now, how many people, and you don't have to answer, but I'm just trying to help you think with me, okay? Uh, how many how many people understand what E equals MC squared is? Energy equals or is matter times the speed of light squared. So that if you could speed up matter to twice the speed of light, you release a tremendous amount of energy. You release the energy that's held in the form of matter. So that one gram of water, if the people on Science for Kids were right, one gram of water has the uh, energetic potential, if it's sped up to twice the speed of light, has the energetic potential of 200 tons of TNT or dynamite. That's how much energy is in one gram of water. So everything that's matter is held is an energetic pattern that's held in form. Are, Are you tracking with me? So if I have a palm tree, it stays a palm tree because it's held in an energetic pattern by the will of God, by the word of God, by the mind of God. And it cannot transcend itself. It cannot change itself. It cannot just decide, I'm tired of being a palm tree. I don't want to be a palm tree today. I'm going to become a coconut tree. I want to become an evergreen. It cannot do that. Because it's held, it's locked into a pattern of energy. Now, as a human being, as a person, you also exist as a pattern of energy that is coming from the mind of God with your mind mixed in because you have free will and you have the ability to have independent consciousness because without that, a love relationship is impossible. So here's my question. Are you and I held in a pattern of energy the same way that a palm tree is held in a pattern of energy? The answer is yes, but the answer is also no, because if, if you were locked into whatever pattern you are, it would be impossible for you and me to change. So part of our divine nature is the ability to transform our energy, therefore change our pattern, therefore be transformed. Are you breathing? So birds of the air have nests. They have patterns where they keep returning to the same enclosure. A nest is an enclosure. Foxes have dens. A den is an enclosure. And they just instinctively know to go back to their den. So, 
<laughs> but the Son of Man, he did not say the Son of God. <sighs> ben Adam in the original, the Son of Adam. Birds of the air have nests and foxes have dens, but the Son of Man doesn't have the same kind of limitations. <laughs> The Son of Man has no place to lay His head. In other words, you and I were not created to be locked into a pattern of thinking that caused us to repeat the same thing over and over and over again, measuring out the same thing, getting the same thing back, and even more of the same throughout our lives. We were not meant to live inside a nest, and we were not meant to live inside a den. We were created by God with the ability to be limitless. For he that believes all things are possible, and nothing shall be Impossible to him that believes. So if we can access the right realms of consciousness, the right realms of Christ thinking, as we follow him, we begin to break our nests, we begin to break out of our dens, and we begin to experience life in, in such a way and in such a reality that, 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 that all things are possible. That nothing has the ability or the power to enclose us. So it is abnormal to be stuck in a pattern. (laughs) Are you breathing? And sometimes things in our life die and we have to let the dead bury the dead. So here's my question. What's dead in your life that you need to bury in order to move on to a greater level of existence? Because here's the issue. Whether we want to accept it or not, we are not victims of our lives. We are generating the patterns that life is feeding back to us. And we can choose to live the same thing over and over and over again. Or we can, like Dr. Strange, get knocked out of the form that we've been locked into. So that we can maybe say, maybe we're not as smart as we thought we were. Maybe we don't know everything the way we... Maybe the world isn't like we think it is. Maybe relationships aren't like we think they are. Maybe reality, maybe Christianity, maybe God isn't like we think He is. But we're so certain and we're so sure. And so we get locked into these patterns. And they serve us for a season. They get us to the place that we are. But there comes a point in season in our lives where that which served us no longer serves us anymore. Where that which was working for us is no longer working for us. And we have to be willing then at that point to be the one who does not have... So that what we have can be taken away. But I have to come to the place of where I'm down on my knees saying, teach me. I'm willing to let go of what I thought was so right and what I thought I knew to move into something else. When something dies, it's no longer functional. But we cling to it. And it's time for us to let the dead bury their own dead. Which means, so here's the question. What pattern are you stuck in that's no longer serving you? What pattern are you stuck in that you're ready to let go of in order to move on 
to the next season of your life. Here's the next question. Who primarily... It's a trick question. Who... Think about this both ways. Who is keeping you stuck in that pattern? Let's talk about relationships for a minute. Especially people close to us. It is very difficult to relate to someone as they are. Because we relate to them based on how we've known them to be. So we relate to the patterns by which we know that person more at times than we relate to the person themselves. And so in a family, in a marriage, in close relationships, when someone begins to move out of a pattern, it's very difficult for us to allow them to leave that pattern because we want to relate to them based on how we knew them before. Particularly if we want to stay stuck. So the question is, who holds you in a pattern? So who are you trying to please? Because whoever you're trying to please is the one holding you in your pattern of dysfunction. Let me say it this way. You choose to hold yourself in a pattern of dysfunction when you're more worried about pleasing other people Now, watch this statement because religious people are going to get triggered. Don't get triggered. Hear me all the way through. If you're more concerned about pleasing other people than you are pleasing yourself, you're giving away your power to the person that you're trying to please so that you stay stuck. Yeah, but I want to please God. So glad you brought that up. Because then you have to ask yourself the question, am I trying to please? Well, the question becomes, how hard is God to please? First of all. And the second thing is, am I pleasing God or am I pleasing the pattern by which I've been taught in church to think about God? Okay, let me bring this home to practicalities. So we got away for three months to go on a sabbatical. Didn't even really know why we were doing it, the full reason. We, we couldn't see the full picture, but we just both knew we needed to do something different. Because we were stuck in a pattern. Doing the same things over and over and over again. In our marriage, in the way I was doing ministry, in our daily routine... All just the same pattern. And we were stuck in it. And we were miserable, miserably unhappy, both of us. You just, you just, I don't know, just woke up and like, I'm not happy doing this anymore. Like, I've been climbing this ladder for 45 years only to get up high enough to realize the ladder's leaning on the wrong building. <laughs> and it's killing me, by the way. And Julie had been unhappy. And so what we had to do was we got away not to rest. That's what we thought. That's what we told people. That's what we thought we were doing. But we weren't getting away to rest. We were getting away to get out of our patterns. If we were just going to rest, we could have stayed home. 
But we had to leave the familiar to break out of the familiar patterns. So Julie shared a couple weeks ago, if you haven't heard the message, I'd recommend you go to our YouTube page and watch it. But she shared very uh, transparently about how she had had a lifelong battle with um, anger and talked about, you know, various manifestations of that. And, then, and so that anger was a pattern that created a pattern in our relationship, right? Now, here's the thing that we don't like to do as human beings. It's, it's, very, it's a tricky mechanism, and this is why judgment is so bad. When we, when we start saying, you know, we're not going to judge, then people say, well, you're just trying to be seeker-sensitive as a church. That's not the issue. The issue is the other place where Jesus said the measure you use will be measured back to you. Guess where he said it? When he said, do not judge lest you be judged for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why? Because judgments lock you into patterns. Judgments lock you into patterns. Oh, but they're the right patterns. (laughs) Or they're the wrong patterns. See, but here's the part about judging when part of you judges, you automatically, no matter who you're judging, when you judge, you automatically victimize yourself. There's a part of you that measures out the judgment, but there's a part of you that receives back. So if I judge myself, so in Julie's case, she had trouble controlling her anger and it was creating all kinds of chaos in our relationship. So she was able to judge herself, judge her anger. But when she did that, she victimized herself to her own anger. But I could also judge her anger and make myself the victim of her anger. If she would just quit being angry, everything would be great. There's a very external, visible pattern. If she just go get therapy. If she just get fixed then life would be grand. So that was one of our patterns of relating. So we go to this thing in November that she talked about where we we learn about the HeartMath Institute and they've done some work on on emotions and, and emotion is energy in motion. That's how I like to understand it. So all your emotions are energetic patterns. So what heart math teaches you to do is go into your heart and access a feeling of gratitude. The feeling part is very important. It's not about the feeling. I mean, excuse me. It's not about the content. It's about the feeling. See, if you're counting your blessings, trying to be thankful, you're looking strictly at content. And that can leave you in a sense of lack. Well, I'm happy I got up this morning. I'm happy the sun came up. I'm happy that you start listing all this stuff, but eventually you're going to start looking around at people that you think have more than you. (laughs) So you can be doing the list and not change the feeling, actually be putting yourself into more and more of a sense of lack. But if you can find one thing that accesses the feeling of gratitude, then you can go into your heart and you can just hold the feeling of gratitude. Now you're creating a new pattern. So when she started to do that, the vibe around our house started to change. But we were still not happy. And so the funny thing was, when we got away, you know, now all of a sudden there's no distractions. 
I can't work 90 hours a week. We don't have people calling us. We don't have friends coming over. It's just us. And so whatever problems were there, get magnified. So I realized I was burning out, so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go get into some therapy. So, so I'm getting into therapy, and I'm working on this stuff with my therapist, and I don't even know how we got there. I couldn't even tell you the story. I wouldn't anyway, because it's none of your business. But my therapist was very good at digging up that unconscious stuff, that stuff that we don't know we believe. And somehow we get off on the topic of God. And this image of God comes up in my mind. Now, if you've been around any time at all, this is maybe shocking to you. Because you can believe something consciously and yet unconsciously be holding something else. And the unconscious part is what's defeating you. This image of God comes up and it's very dark and it's very foreboding. Just out of my mind. And God is not especially happy. And he's sitting in judgment. And so my therapist says, is God judging you? And we're having this discussion and she says, what's the worst that could happen? And I said, eternal conscious torment. (laughs) It's a big deal. And anyway, through the course of this discussion, she finally says, why don't you go to that image of God that you're holding in your mind and tell it, well, I can't say what she told me to tell it because we're in church. So I'll sanctify it. Tell it baloney. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that to the Almighty. He doesn't look like he's in a very good mood. Finally, she says, well, why don't you just go up and give him a great big sloppy old kiss? And I thought, okay, the Bible says the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your might, all your soul, all your strength. and Love your neighbor as yourself. That's obeying the greatest commandment. I can do that. I can go up to this angry, foreboding, dark image of God and give him a hug and a great big sloppy kiss. So in my mind, I do this thing. And at that moment, that image that... I was holding that was really holding me completely collapsed and with it 30 some years of belief system completely collapsed but now here's the interesting thing I was instantly filled with the greatest sense of peace I'd ever felt in my life now understand I gave I asked Jesus to come into my heart when I was three years old Like eight or nine years old, I get baptized in the Methodist church. Twelve years old, I get confirmed. Eighteen years old, I feel the call to the ministry. And then, you know, I really haven't been that bad. I didn't have time. I didn't sow any wild oats or whatever. You understand what I'm saying? And in all that time, I'd never felt the peace like I had when that idea of who God was collapsed and I go home and the craziest thing happens in our marriage we start getting along great start getting along great not being touchy or fretful or just having fun together 
So several days of this goes by. The first thing that happened when I got home was like my face felt different, like my face was relaxed. Like I looked in the mirror, I would look in the mirror and I'd go, my, I cannot believe how relaxed my face is. Like I would try to tense up every muscle in my face like it was before and I couldn't even consciously do it. I'm like, this is crazy. Four or five days go by, a week goes by, I'm still feeling peaceful. I'm like, wow, and I'm not having to try. I'm not having to work at this. I went from having panic attacks to having spontaneous bouts of gratitude. Like gratitude attacks. I'm serious. Like just, like just going down the road instead of thinking, oh, something bad, what, what bad thing is going to happen? What other shoe is going to drop? Just going down the road thinking, oh my God, I'm so thankful for where I am in life. And I didn't have to try. So then I'm sitting there thinking, I was 80% of the problem in the marriage. How can this be? She was the one that was angry. She was the one that was breaking her phone. She was the one that was doing all this stuff. How could it be that I was bringing 80% of the turmoil into the marriage? But you know, the, the part that just baked my noodle more than anything? Here I am, a preacher. I've been in ministry 20-some years. And frankly, I know more about the Bible than most people I know. I have a friend that's going to a theological seminary in New York. And we have these Skype sessions where we talk about what she's learning in seminary. And she's like, you really ought to be teaching the classes. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I had a lot of knowledge. And I'm sitting here thinking... I'm more peaceful, I'm more happy, I'm more loving, I'm a better dad, I'm a better husband. I, I like myself. And my problem wasn't some childhood abuse. It wasn't being an adult child of an alcoholic. It wasn't some traumatic thing that happened to me when I was 16 years old. It wasn't being picked on or bullied in the school. It wasn't being left in the incubator for three weeks. After I was born, because I was premature and nobody held me. It had to be one of those things, because that was what I was taught. It couldn't possibly be my view of who God was. It couldn't possibly be my religious beliefs that were causing me all my problems. Because we were so right. We were so biblical. So what's my point? My point is you shouldn't listen to anything else I have to say. <laughs> and he tells you that coming for years, I've messed you all up. My point is, the pattern can be obvious. It can be behavioral. It can be something that you want to get out of. So Julie starts doing the heart math stuff and learns that she doesn't have to judge her anger as bad. She can be, she can literally make friends with her anger and be at peace with her anger. And allow that lead. See, I haven't forgot where I was at. Be transmuted into gold. So that now her relationships could be something more golden. 
See, the lead in her had to become gold in her first before the lead out here could become gold out here. Or it could be something that's totally hidden. That's a belief that you're holding on to strongly that you don't even know is there. And it could be as simple as just shifting an image in your mind of who God is. And when you shift that, you shift a pattern of energy. That for me was stopping up all the peace and all the joy and all the love and all the goodness of life that God wanted me to experience. But that one little pattern of energy was blocking it off. And I was getting older faster. And I had high blood pressure. And I had anxiety attacks. And that one little pattern of energy, that one little bit, it wasn't little, but that lead gets changed into gold because I gave this angry God a sloppy kiss. See, that was the quintessence for me. It wasn't sitting there, I believe God's good, I believe God's good, I believe God's good, I believe God's good. It was doing something as silly as giving that image of God a sloppy kiss. That was the quintessence that changed my relationship from lead into gold. So that now I could change my relationships into something more golden than they were before. So here's my question. What pattern are you stuck in that's no longer serving you? It could be something as big as a job that you're stuck in that's no longer serving you. A relationship that you're stuck in that's no longer serving you. A church that you're stuck in that's no longer serving you. (laughs) Or simple beliefs that you're stuck in. That are no longer serving you. But the point is, until you begin to measure out something different, until you can say, I'm willing to let go of what I have so that I have nothing, so that I have not, so that even what I have can be taken away. See, when Julie quit, when she shared a few weeks ago, she quit judging her anger. She let go of what she had. You understand what I'm saying? Which was her judgment. So that what she had, all that stress and turmoil that anger was causing, could be taken away. Do you see it? So it could be something as big as something out here that needs to change. Or it could be something little, like a little belief in your heart about yourself, about your life. For every single one of us, we're going to have to answer that question differently. And being able to shift that pattern can make a huge difference in every other area of your life. But if we don't understand this, we will not understand how God is working with us. Because we had to get enough feedback from our life. Burnout, high blood pressure, anxiety attacks, fits of carnality. To where we got so uncomfortable with the feedback that we were getting... That we were ready to let go and say, you know what, I don't have any more sacred cows. I don't have any more doctrines that I feel like I need to defend. Trent and Tammy were over the other night and they were talking about the Trinity and they're looking at me like, well, what do you say? I'm like, I don't know nothing. (laughs) I 
I don't know anything. Because there are mysteries outside the reaches of my senses (laughs) that I don't know. And if I think I do, I'm going to miss the reality of what is. So that your certainty, faith is being certain. See, now I'm bringing home full circle. If we believe faith is being certain of what we hope for, then certainty becomes our objective as believers. And it's our certainty that's getting in the way of our own alchemy and transformation. Does that make sense to you? Let's stand up, if you would. So there's hope. (laughs) Maybe you got it all figured out and you're happy as a lark. Good for you. I hope that season and pattern lasts for eternity for you. And then for the rest of us, just take a minute, just go inside. It just starts, you you may not get an answer right away, you know, this isn't necessarily McDonald's. Drive through, you know what I'm saying? You put in your order, you get it right away. But my question is, what is the pattern that has you stuck? If you don't start asking that question, you won't get the answer. But how many of you know you're stuck somewhere? Let me just see your hand. It could be you know for a fact you're stuck or you're just, just an in, intuitive thing. I'm just going to pray for you. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to take years of therapy to get fixed. It just takes revelation. It just takes the light of God coming into those places. Amen. Bow our heads. Father, just thank you for your light. Just ask for your light to move into all those dark places, wherever we're stuck, whatever the pattern is that we're stuck in. Would you release your light into our hearts, into our minds? And then with that light, give us the courage to make the change. Give us the courage to leave our nest, as it were, to leave our fox's den. Give us the courage to let our dead bury their own dead. Listen, I I think the Lord wants you to know, until you deal with that pattern, until you're ready to say goodbye to that thing, until you make a clear intention in your heart, I'm ready to say goodbye to that thing, you're going to stay stuck, and you're going to perpetuate more chaos and misery. (laughs) So really, it's as simple as setting your intention. I set my intention to be done with that situation, with whatever it is. I set my intention to be done with that pattern and to move on. Father, bless your people. In Jesus' name. Amen.